Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. All right, let's, uh, let's pull out our Crosswalk notes. And we're diving into a, vo- a very popular misquote, which isn't entirely a misquote. So we're, we're, going to, we're going to talk about that today. But it is also some, some, something that uh, God said through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 that can easily be misused and mishandled. And it is the thought I, that God says, I won't give you more than you can handle. So we're in 1 Corinthians 10. We're looking at just one uh, verse today. We'll look at some others alongside of it, but we're focusing in on 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14. I think a question a lot of Christians ask, and it's, it's a popular, popular question out there, is, is your God too small? Have you ever asked yourself that? That, that Maybe I don't have faith that my God is big enough to handle this situation. And maybe I don't pray big enough because in the back of my mind, I have my doubts that that God is strong enough, wise enough, loving enough, or whatever it might be to handle this. And, And so we often remind ourselves, our God is big, big in his love, big in his power. Uh, big in his ability to cut through all the, the strings and, and free us from what we need to be freed from. Very popular question, is our God too small? And it was a pastor thinking about that question after he had gone through a very tough situation in life. His name was Daniel Hans, and he and his wife, Beth, had watched over a nine-month period as their little three-year-old baby began to decline in health from cancer. And they took this little tiny three-year-old to the hospital again and again, nine times in nine months for four separate operations. Can you imagine the heart wrenching experience of taking your little three-year-old to a hospital again and again like that and, and having four separate operations. All in the hopes that with the help of God and with the help of modern medicine, this baby's cancer could be healed and would go away. And I'm sure many times as they were praying, they were reminding themselves, our God is big. Our God can help. Nine months into that little three-year-old's battle with cancer, God took her home to himself. She died. And after all the exhaustion of that battle, all those operations, all those visits to the hospital, here was this man of God, this pastor, and this woman of God, a pastor's wife, and they were left 
wondering questions that any of us would wonder. Why, God? Why have us go through all of this for nine long months? Four operations, nine trips to the hospital, only to have it end like this. Why didn't you just take her if you were going to take her anyway? Throughout that entire period, Pastor Daniel was obviously showing up at church still and preaching messages, and many of the messages that he preached involved what he and his wife and his family were going through in their hearts and in their minds. And after it was all done and he had some time to to gain some perspective, he decided he would take a a specially chosen group of those messages that he had written during that period. He thought, maybe someone else will find some strength and some solace in these messages. And he, he put them into a book. And one of the messages was titled, Is Your God Too Big? Not, Is Your God Too Small?, But is your God too big? It's the opposite twist on the question, isn't it? And it's it's maybe kind of a challenging question for all of us. Is our God too big? And what do we mean by this? Pastor Daniel said, I don't mean to say that our God is not infinitely big in power and ability to to solve the issues and the problems and especially the sins and the death of this world. He's big enough. He's very big. I don't mean that God's wisdom is limited. But what I'm talking about here is that sometimes we may take what God never intended promises to be and turn them into a promise that we want it to be, such as it is always God's will to solve the problems in our lives the way we want them solved and when we want them solved, that God is, in essence, our waiter, and he just has to listen to our prayers and do what we say, and then our God will be big enough for us. And Pastor Daniel and many of us through events in our lives have learned that God is not our waiter, that God has his own divine mind and his own divine will and a plan that's much larger than than what we can see. Pastor Daniel wrote that sermon. He did an interesting thing. He asked his congregation to submit stories of times when they had prayed for a certain outcome from God in their lives and God had delivered a different outcome, sometimes maybe even an opposite outcome to what what they had prayed for. And I would guess that if I had done that here, there would be many stories in, in this fairly large church of people who have times in, at times in their lives prayed for something and had God say, no, or not yet, or you need something different. And we've struggled to understand that. And maybe we've even said to ourselves, God, I thought you promised you would never give me more than I can handle. And what I want to do today is lead us into this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that is often used as the background for 
God's supposed promise that he won't give us more than we can handle. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, if you look at that, if I look at it, the very first thought I have, especially when I read that middle part, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It it certainly seems at first that God is promising us he will never give us more than we can handle. But now I'm going to teach you a very important principle a biblical interpretation, one that I want you to take home with you and use. All passages, if taken in isolation, can be made to say whatever we want them to say. And this is one of those passages in particular that we have to guard ourselves and our beliefs by looking at what other passages say about this same topic. So what God teaches, in other words, here's the principle, what God teaches about any particular subject or topic can only be discerned or understood by looking at all the passages that cover that topic. Can't just take one. You have to take them all. Now, the very interesting thing about this Here, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, I won't give you more than you can bear. But if you have your Bible open, and I'm going to page to it myself, I want you to look at the same author, 2 Corinthians, same audience, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And this is what the same author says to the same audience here. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Do you hear that? I, the Apostle Paul, have experienced this myself, and I am sharing this with you, Corinthians. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. It got so bad that I started wishing to die, is what Paul is saying here. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. We felt as if... Death was right here. And then he goes on to explain, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Did you know that the Bible is full of examples of great men of God who said this is just too much? You you can take Jonah, for example, who ran away from preaching in the city of Nineveh, because, because he said to himself, no, nope, God, not going there. That's too big of an order for me. I don't want that. And he literally boarded a ship so that he could get away from it. Moses, when given the job of leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, said, no, God, not me. 
bring somebody else to do this job. That's too much for me. I can't endure the pressures of that job. One of my favorites is Elijah. Right after a huge victory over the prophets of Baal, he walks out into the wilderness and, and we know that this is often the, true, the truth of our own human experience, isn't it? That we've just had maybe a, a big victory, a big mountaintop experience. Well, this is what happened to Elijah. After that, he went out and he said, I give up, God. I can't take any more. I, I feel like I'm all alone in trying to, to, to share you and your message with these stubborn people. I can't do it anymore. I can't endure it. Again and again and again in the Bible, we find examples of, of people talking to God and saying, it's too much. So what does, let's come back to it, what does Paul mean when he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Well, let's start here. First of all, let's understand what the trouble with misunderstanding this passage is. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk first, about, first of all about something that happened to Jesus Christ himself. Do you remember that at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. And, and Satan literally quoted the scriptures at him in Matthew chapter 4. I want to read it for you. And he says, look... There's the temple, Jesus. And hasn't God made a promise to you? If you are the son of God, Satan said, throw yourself down from the corner of this temple. Stand on the highest point and, and throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What is Satan in effect saying to Jesus? Hasn't God promised to not give you more than you can handle, than you can endure? He's even promised that he won't let your foot strike against a stone. Jump off of here, Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've heard this story before. Maybe you haven't. But listen to how Jesus answers. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to a test. Here's the thing, if we believe that God will never give us more than we can endure, sometimes, like Satan tries to get Jesus to do here, sometimes we will use that thought as an excuse to put God to the test. And I want you to write that in. The big problem with this misquote is that it can cause massive misplaced expectations. And one of those could be, as Satan told Jesus, you can expect that the angels will rescue you if you jump off of here. Even God has said that. And what does Jesus do? He uses the biblical principle that I taught you at the beginning of this message. He says, we, we got to look at all the passages on that subject, Satan. And let's remember that, that God also said, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Yes, he said, you won't dash your foot against a stone, but he has also said, don't put me to the test. 
And Jesus chose in that situation because of that passage and that truth, not to throw himself off the temple, not to test God. Here's the second problem with misplaced expectations. Like that pastor going through the horrible experience of all those operations and all those hospital visits only to have his little baby daughter die. If we believe that God will not give us more than we can handle and then he places us in a situation like that, he allows us to be in that kind of circumstance, we can become totally disillusioned with God. You are going to face as Elijah faced times in your life when you want to throw up your hands and give up. As Christians, we face those times. Take a look at what the psalmist writes. I put this one in your notes. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night, I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. And then what does he say next? I want you to circle this word. I am overwhelmed. Will you circle that word? See how honest and transparent he is here? I'm overwhelmed. This is too much for me with troubles. And my life draws near to death. He's very much like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.7. I just feel death right here. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I have nothing left. I am spent, God. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. There's reality. And so as we go through life, the Bible teaches us to hold these passages in balance. Yes, God makes phenomenal promises to us, and we're going to look at those in just a moment. He loves us as his dear children. He sacrificed his one and only son for us to take away our sins, guilt, and shame, to win eternal life for us. And God says, remember, you live in a fallen world. This is why I, I told Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit from that tree because I saw the pain that was coming. I saw the separation from me, the lack of faith and the trouble and the hardship that would come down the line for, for the people I create. I wanted none of that to happen. But sin came into the world, and now we live in a fallen world, which is to say we live in a pain-filled world. And sometimes the pain of this world is going to overwhelm us, as the psalmist says. Sometimes we're going to feel like Elijah or like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is going to feel more than we can handle. So here's the reality check. Our troubles can truly be overwhelming at times. So what do we need to, to know if this is our reality, that our troubles can be overwhelming at times? There are some beautiful things that God wants you to know, and I want to progress to that now. And 
and understand that there is a context for why Paul writes what he's writing to the Corinthians. Paul had started this church in Corinth. And of course, as he did with many other churches, he spent some time there, developed some leadership there, and then left the church behind, trusting the power of the word and the sacraments and the Holy Spirit to keep on developing that congregation. He would exchange letters with the people as he himself personally went on to start other congregations and churches around the Roman Empire. This particular congregation was maybe Paul's largest. And in that sense, Paul and the Word and the Holy Spirit were very successful in Corinth. And Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. It was an excellent place to have a church because from here, people moved in and moved out. And when they moved in, they got a chance now through this church in Corinth to hear the gospel, and then they could move out to new places, new cities and villages in the empire and share Jesus with others. This was an opportune place to be. However, this was also a difficult and challenging place to be. Because it was a cosmopolitan city, there were many different religions and faiths and beliefs and philosophies that moved in and out of the city. And the Christians there were constantly being challenged, and particularly in the area of their morality. Corinth was a city that was so bad that whenever playwrights would write plays in these days, the, Cor the Corinthian character, whoever was labeled as a Corinthian, he would only play two roles. The role would be he was a drunkard or he, was a or, he or she was a prostitute. Those were the roles Corinthians played. That's how the reputation of Corinth was. And so there, in this book, Paul is saying to them, you are facing constant temptations. I know this. Now, before I go on, I, I want to define temptation here because that's the word that he starts with. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And I want you to, to go back to the top of page one, circle that word, and I want you to write three words next to it. Temptation, first of all, is something that the devil, the world, or our sinful flesh gives us to create sin in our lives. So we ourselves, the world, Satan, will tempt us to sin. But this same Greek word also means two other things. It can also mean a trial, meaning a very difficult period in one's life. Not necessarily uh, a temptation to fall into sin, but more like what the young pastor and his wife went through with their three-year-old daughter. A very difficult situation in life. And the third meaning for this same Greek word is test. Something that you're given and you're either going to pass it or you're going to fail it. Now, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians here, He's really focused on that first definition. And he's been talking to them about how the Israelites had a constant temptation in their history 
to cave into idolatry and listen to other gods and listen to other faiths and get drawn away from the one true God. And it's in that context that the the Corinthians were being drawn away into, first of all, sexual immorality and other kinds of immorality, but also into idolatry and, and following some of these other religious practices and philosophies that were passing through Corinth that, that Paul says to them, look, you may be saying to yourself, this temptation is too strong for me. I, I can't fight it. These are my natural urges. These are, this is something I feel like I can't resist. Now, here's the reason I'm bringing this up. Very practically. I'm guessing everyone in this room has felt that at times. I can't seem to resist this. I can't handle this. I, I find that I, I keep caving in to this sin keep being drawn in by this idol that is so important to me, and I don't seem to have the power to fight it. I might be able to resist it for a little while, but then it draws me back in. And it, it can be so many different things, brothers and sisters. It might be pride. It might be greed. It might be like it was with with the Corinthians, sexual immorality. I am never going to look at the wrong websites on my computer again. It might be chemicals. It it, it might be fights with your spouse, battles with your children. You know what they are for you. You get what I'm saying. A whole variety of things. And what Paul is saying is, don't think that you're any different from anyone else. These these temptations that you're experiencing, you haven't been singled out. This is part of life in a fallen world. And I want you to, to write that down. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I haven't been singled out. Everyone experiences trials and temptations. Sometimes when we go through these kinds of temptations, it feels like it's just us. That, that God is not treating anyone else like this. That no one has to deal with what we have to deal with. And whether you take the first definition of a temptation, the second definition of a painful trial, it just gets worse when we feel like it's only us. We're all alone. We're the only one in the world facing this kind of thing. And so Paul starts with the Corinthians and with us by saying, no. You haven't been singled out. We all live in the same fallen world. And we all face these temptations and trials and tests. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Understand, Paul says, that God is your creator and your redeemer. That, that Christ came to be your substitute, to die the perfect sacrificial death on the cross, to pay for all of your sins. He gets exactly what the cost of sin is. 
He understands temptation. The author of the book of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way like we are, yet was without sin. He resisted those temptations. Jesus feels you. He gets you. He understands what this is like, and he knows the parameters of the strength that he himself has given you. Flip the page. In John 16, 33, we, we get a promise. This is very much like the promise that, that Paul is giving to the Corinthians. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. This is Jesus talking now. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What Jesus is saying here is, is very similar. The, the best illustration I could think of to illustrate this was, was how buildings have to be built today. You know since 9-11, don't you, that tall buildings are, are built completely differently now. Foundations are deeper. There's more support within buildings because the standards have been raised because of the issues that we face in today's world. No longer do buildings only have to withstand the force of an earthquake or a hurricane to be considered safe. They have to be able to withstand the force and contain the fire and the flames and all of that of a plane flying into the side of it. And if you know anything about gravity, to create a building that can stand up to the force of a huge aircraft flying into the side of it is an amazing work of design and physics. What makes the building strong is not the bricks. What makes the building strong is that it has a deep foundation and plenty of rebar and steel going through it. When Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world, what he's saying is, your strength is not found in you. You are nothing but bricks. You're nothing but the stones of the building. But within you is steel and rebar. Within you is the Holy Spirit. Living within you is Myself, Jesus. And because we are in you, and because my word is your strong foundation, you can withstand the temptations and the trials and the tests of the world, the fallen world that you live in. In this world, you will have trouble. It's going to happen. Hurricanes are going to come into your life. Tornadoes are going to whisk by. Earthquakes are going to happen. Someone is going to try to terrorize you. But if you have the steel of the Holy Spirit, if you have the strong rebar of Jesus living inside of you, if you have the foundation of word and sacrament, you can stand. Not because of you, but because of what is in you. Take heart, Jesus says to you, I have overcome the world. Write this in. My faithful and victorious Savior Jesus will help me endure trials 
and resist temptations. He will be that inner support that I need to have. Now, let's get practical. That happens when you keep coming and connecting with God, with Jesus Christ. And you do that when you keep studying his word, when you are regular in attendance at the Lord's Supper, when you prepare your hearts through attendance at the class system, when you're a member of a growth group. These are the ways that you re-strengthen that foundation and reinforce that rebar and steel that is within you. When you serve, as we talked about earlier, that's a way in which you tie back into the strength, the inner strength of Jesus Christ living in you. Notice what it says next. Verse 13c, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And 2 Peter 2.9 issues a very similar promise. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. That That word, a way out, was used by ancient shepherds as a way when they were leading their sheep or their cattle around and they would wander into the canyons and ravines of the Holy Land and maybe feel like we're stuck here. We got in, but we can't get out. Oh, look, there, there is a little tiny goat path. I think if we follow that, we might be able to get out of this canyon, out of this ravine. That's what Paul is saying to us, what he was saying to the Corinthians originally. You may not be able always to notice it at first. It might seem like just a light trace. It may not be right in front of your face. Oh, look, there's a way out. But God says to us, I will always provide you with that little goat path that will let you escape the temptation. Has it ever happened to you? That you felt drawn in by a temptation? To the point where you felt, I don't think I'm going to win this time. And so you prayed. Lord, I don't have the strength to defeat this temptation. A fight is going to break out. I am going to fall into this temptation. This is just about to happen, Lord. Have you ever been in that situation? And, And just in that moment, you think to pray. Maybe it's just the Lord's prayer. You know, deliver me from temptation, Lord. And all of a sudden, something opens up. Almost as if the Lord himself comes in there and pushes you to the side or pushes the temptation to the side or the trouble. Have you ever been driving down the road and been that close to a car accident and said to yourself, exactly, thank God. The angels, God's angels were watching me that time, right? God will fulfill this promise to you. Stay connected to him. He will provide a path out. He knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Write this in. God knows how to rescue me. Sometimes it's nothing about you or me. 
It's just God coming and rescuing us from trials and temptations and finding a way for us to escape. Now, here's the final point. And that is this. Even when we have to endure temptations and trials, good can come from them in the long run. And in these passages, first from Peter, and you, you know his story, how he completely caved in to temptation, even though he had promised Christ that he wouldn't, and he denies Christ three times. But look at what he writes. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, here's a good thing that will result, Peter says, of greater worth than gold. There's nothing better than this long-term, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. At the end of time, Peter says, the fact that you have survived the temptations and the trials and the tests is going to bring glory to God because it's going to be seen how he saved all of us in the midst of those temptations and those trials. And that is something worth waiting for. That is a wonderful, good thing that God is going to provide for us on Judgment Day to be able to see how much God has actually done for us in his love. And then Romans 6, 13 and 14 says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Here's the second thing that happens as in God's power, you learn to resist temptation as you learn to endure through painful trials. God in his grace is strengthening you and bringing you closer into a faith relationship with him, helping you understand always to rely on him and on his grace and mercy and forgiveness. That is what's wonderful for you and me. Yep. It's true. Sometimes it takes painful trials to bring that about. Sometimes it takes us practicing again and again to resist temptation to bring that about. But at the end, as Paul says, we learn not to offer the parts of our body as instruments of wickedness, but to offer ourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Here's your final point. Supernatural strength to endure trials and to resist temptations come as I live by faith in God's grace. Here's the bottom line. What God is really promising in this verse is not that he won't give you more than you can handle, but that he will never give you more than he can handle. Let him be the foundation. Let him be the rebar. Let him be the steel in the building of your life and your faith, he can handle whatever comes your way. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you have sent your son Jesus to live within us. We, we thank you that your Holy Spirit permeates our hearts and minds as 
one of the most wonderful gifts that you have given us. Lord, often when we think of the gospel, we think of the cross and the empty tomb and, and, and the rescue that you provided us from our sin, guilt, and shame. And, and that is wonderful to think about. Lord, here you remind us that the gospel is also that you are living inside of us, that you are within us, and that you strengthen us for the trials and the tests and the temptations. That you are with us, walking with us every day to help us, whatever may come. Lord, for those in this room right now who are facing temptations to fall into sin, the devil, the world, their own sinful flesh is, is leading them to desire things that are against your will. I pray that you would strengthen them and provide them a way of escape. For those in this room, Lord, who are facing trials, painful trials, I ask that you would walk with them and comfort them and give them courage and strength. Help them to know that you love them. Lord, help us all to pass the tests in your strength and in your grace that are placed before us in this fallen world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Today's message is pretty simple. God will never give us more than he can bear. Go with that and remember he is the rebar and the steel and the foundation for a life that can stand up to temptation, trials, and tests. Let me send, out, send you out into your week with, uh, with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. We'll see you back here next week for the next message in this series.